Welcome to the Chamber Buzz with Bobby. I'm Bobby Vandenbalk, Member Services Director with the Exeter Area Chamber of Commerce. In our podcast, you will learn how people got their start, what brought them to the Exeter area, and how they want to be remembered. We'll give you a unique look into the lives of the people who make up our community. As you know, we always say people are going to do business with people they know and trust. So let's get started getting to know this person behind this organization. Today, my guest is Molly Zarello. She is the Executive Director of St. Vincent de Paul Community Assistance Center, located at 53 Lincoln Street in Exeter, New Hampshire. Molly, welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. We're so glad to have you here. And um, St. Vincent de Paul has been such a huge uh, part of the community for, it seems like forever. So um, we're thrilled to have you here and uh, we look forward to getting to know you and the organization a little bit better. Molly, tell us a little bit about what St. Vincent de Paul does and your role. Sure. Um, Society of St. Vincent de Paul, uh, we are a food pantry and we have the Cleo Castlegate Community Assistance Center. So we are here to help our, in a nutshell, our Exeter neighbors that are in need, that are fighting poverty. Um, We do that in a number of capacities. Um, We're most well known for our food pantry, um, which is, we've been in operation now, it's going on our 33rd year. Um, So we have our food pantry, but we also have our community service. I'm sorry, not community service, community, our Cleo Cassidy Community Center. And with that, we take a un- unique approach to helping our, again, it's our Exeter neighbors. This is for, we serve exclusively um, the towns that make up SAU 16. So it's Exeter, Stratum, East Kingston, Kensington, Brentwood, and Newfields. Um, so we have other offerings and resources and tools. Our goal here is to try to get um, folks out of poverty and we take a holistic approach um, and that we don't specialize in just one. We're not hyper-focused on one initiative. We try to, again, it's a holistic approach where we try to look um, to see what resources and tools um, that folks are having difficulty meeting, getting met, things um, done and having their budgets met. Um, what we can do to assist them and what tools that we can enable them. And again, our goal is to try to get them out of the situation that they're in. I can only imagine that the past 24 months have been even more challenging um, for you folks to get. How do you do that and and not come in contact with people? (laughs) That'd be very difficult. Um, we, I mean, like everybody, the whole world is, I, I still feel like it's derailed. <laughs> we bet we're creeping back to normalcy, but we're, I don't know, we're a distance from there. But, um, so what we, the people that we serve, a lot of people that we serve, um, seniors are a big population. They're about 30%, if not more of our, our, um, food pantry clients. Um, and a lot of her volunteers are seniors as well. So we have a very vulnerable group on both ends, um, so we, what we did is kind of fly into action like everybody, um, but we're doing curbside um, delivery. So food pantry folks come and they pull up in front and they give us a buzz. It's happening right now. I can hear the phone in the background. Um, we give us a buzz. We look them up and find out who's in their household. 
and what makes up their household. You know, is it a single mom with three kids? Is it, a, you know, a senior couple? Is it, you know, what, what comprises that? Some of the food is already ready to rock and roll and some of it we attempt to customize depending upon their needs. Um, so then when that is ready to go, we bring it out on a cart to the curbside and people, our clients get out of their cars um, and do and bring it to their, uh, put it in their trunks. We also, one of the big programs that really took off during the COVID, we serve seniors that reside um, at 277 Water Street, as well as Meeting Place, and we do a senior delivery program. And that, and during the height of COVID, quadrupled because a lot of the, a lot of those 277 Water Street, which we have a fantastic relationship with Exeter Housing Authority, um, they were on lockdown because talk about vulnerable people. So... We, um, those were a lot of people that their resources, um, you know, and means, you know, getting out to go to the grocery store, having family, thing, you know, that, that was a huge stumbling block. So we um, quadrupled the number of seniors that we were delivering to in the height of the pandemic. And sometimes we were the only source of food that these seniors had. Um, and we were doing that um, twice a month. So that's, I mean, talk about a really vulnerable population. So we were able to fly into action, get that together. And again, we were doing, we have less volunteers than we had initially and things like that. We're, we're again, we're climbing our way back to normalcy, um, but it did have an effect because we lost a lot of our volunteers, but oddly enough, a lot of people are working from home. So they have more flexibility in their schedule. So we have gained some new volunteers too. So it's an ebb and flow. That's great. Oh, good. I'm so glad to hear that. It's always nice to get, you know, it's always nice to have volunteers, no matter who or for how long, but it's always nice to get new ones. And, um, you know, it creates a whole different synergy. So congratulations. It sounds like it's been a good, uh, a good thing as well. Yes. So let's get started. We know that your name is um, Molly Zarello. And, um, but we we don't know where, where you came from. So tell us, are, do you live local? Did you grow up local? Sure. Um, <laughs> I was born here in Exeter, as a matter of fact. Oh, wow. Um, yes. It, you know, like physician check-ins, like, where were you born? I was like, oh, you know, a few feet that way. So <laughs> um, I am local. I did grow up. I grew up in Newmarket and uh, went to school in Providence Rhode Island, and then my, met my husband, and we moved around a bit in New England. Um, then it came time to, um, you know, settle down, buy a house, all that, you know, good things. Um, and we wanted to be around family. Um, and we, so we decided to both, and my husband's from Brooklyn, New York, so vastly different background than mine. Um, but we decided, you know, it was a great place. Um, we were always fond of Exeter, um, and it's just been, we're really grateful that we're here. It's a great town. Um, it has a good mix. It's not overabundance of, um, you know, commercialism, but there's services, there's businesses, there's a thriving downtown, which not a lot of smaller towns can, and can make those claims. So it's a really nice balance. We always like the school systems here. It's growing up. I have, you know, we're just really happy to be part, have our kids, um, partake in that. So it's a great, um, it's a great community. And, and it has great school systems. So um, that's that's amazing. Tell us a little. Tell us a little bit about your um, your parents. Your what were your parents' first names? 
Uh, my dad, who has passed, uh, my dad was Richard Allen, and my mother is Sandy Allen, and she lives in Newmarket. My mom's been always been very active in the like Newmarket. She served on the school board and you know all kinds of town committees and things. So being an integral part of the community and being woven into um, this, it's real. It's important because those are the people that really make our community worthwhile and keeping. Um, aware and abreast of what's happening and what could benefit our communities and things. So that's been something that's been a modeled behavior that I grew up with. Um, it, it, it's important to be partaking in your community, again, to try to make it a better place and, and to, you know, again, help our neighbors and, you know, um, no matter what their economic um, tax brackets are. Exactly. Did your mom and dad, did they come from big families, small families? Where were they in the line of uh, my dad was an Air Force brat. He lived all over the world, all over the world in Bermuda and in um, the Philippines. He's been everywhere. He and his, my, yeah, my dad's family um, was all over the world. He graduated from high school in Madrid, Spain. So he was all over and he was one of three boys. Um, and they were, they were, again, like every couple of years, you know, picking up and going to different Air Forces bases all over the world. Um, my mom grew up in New Hampshire and Hollis, and she was the oldest of six. So she's more, um, yeah, like localized, so to speak, than um, all over the world. So yeah, little little different backgrounds. Yep. I, I was. How how did they meet in little old Exeter? Uh, they didn't meet next, so they were both UNH students, and they met at well attending UNH. Oh, yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That makes sense. I was like, if he's traveling all over the world. And she's from around here. How did they meet? Yes, UNH. My yeah, my mom said that she went to UNH and never left. So, <laughs> so is your mom still working at UNH? No, no, no. She's retired now. Oh, she's retired. Her. Yeah, for her. Um, and what did your what was your dad's profession? My dad, my parents. I should mention my parents were divorced, so entering them in the same breath is like bizarre. So. <laughs> Uh, my dad was um, head of probation parole for Stratford County. That was his whole um, career. And he also was a chief in the um, Coast Guard as well. He was stationed down in Boston. So during um, during some of the, he was on active duty for certain things. So he did, he did both things. He did both. So we were, and again, too, my dad influenced me by, we were aware that he saw when he was seeing people again, he did probation parole and things that he was encountering people at some of the worst times of their lives. Mm -hmm. um, so that had an influence as well, because you understand when you're seeing people, you know, when their chips are down and things are, you know, like having a hard, you know, people are having a hard time that he had the kindness um, to recognize that he was seeing them um, at, at a really, really vulnerable time. So, and being able to advocate and understand and, how to put their, you know, focus on their future and how they can improve things. Your dad sounds like a really cool guy. Yeah, he was, he was, we miss him dearly. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that he passed. Thank you. Now, do you have any siblings? I have one brother um, who is a merchant Marine and he lives up in Maine with his family. So, but he, he goes out on like stints. I think it's about three weeks at a time and he's back three weeks, so. Wow. Now, are you oldest? I am, yes. <laughs> yep. So a baby brother, I love that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what was a typical day like in your household growing up? 
Um, it depends at what age group, but where we were, my, my, again, my parents were divorced. So I, my dad lived in Exeter, I, Exeter, sorry. My dad lived in Newmarket as well. So we kind of, we bounced back and forth between two. Um, I mean, which is difficult in its own right, but it was great to be able to have two households and two parents that were passionate and, you know, on the scene and not a, you know, a distant, you know, kind of visit or something like that, but part of your daily grind and part of your um, landscape that, you know, help influence me definitely. It really is so important to have that even, you know, being divorced, it's so important to have that connection to both parents on a, on a regular daily basis. So that's like a great, um, it sounds like a great opportunity for you and your brother. Yeah. I mean, it's not always ideal by any stretch, you know, it can be difficult and very challenging at times on everybody in the family, but when you're just doing the best you can with where, you know, things are, that's, that's all you can do. Exactly. Exactly. So where did you go to school? I went to high school, Newmarket High School. It was teeny tiny. Um, so Exeter seems daunting. I have two teenage boys in there. Well, one son's graduated from Exeter High School. He's at University of Southern Maine. And then my other son is still at Exeter High School. So that just feels humongous to me because my graduating class had 28 people in it. So that's teeny tiny because Newmarket's one of the only schools that is not a regional high school in the area. So it's, it's pretty small. Um, and I went to um, college um, at Johnson & Wales in Providence, Rhode Island. Oh, that's a great school. Mm-hmm. Now, what did you, what did you study? Um, in my former lifetime, um, I did, I have a bachelor's degree in travel and tourism. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh my gosh, that is too funny. Um, have you have you ever used it? I mean, oh yeah, when I yes, um, when I was out of school and things, I used to do like corporate travel. I did leisure travel for a wee bit, but then corporate travel for for Boston, you know, companies and things like that. That's great. How fun! That sounds. It sounds like a lot of fun to me. <sighs> what was your very first job? Very glamorous moment here. Uh, first job, probably, uh, we used to go over to Hampton beach, um, and we would, and we had like summers that we would clean rooms. So not very, (laughs) yes. Yeah. And so that was an interesting experience and an eye opening in some rooms, but it was, uh, I'm not afraid of cleaning a bathroom to this day. So it was good housekeeping training. So, but it was a teenager. It was pretty it was a pretty good gig because we had to work a few hours, then we get tips and you know, this is before we could drive. So we take the money that were the tips and go hang out on the beach and get pizza and all that good stuff. So, you know, we were home by like two or three. So it was kind of a good day from, from what I recall. I love that. Um, Molly, what, what did you take from that very first job? <laughs> How to clean, keep a clean bathroom, honestly. <laughs> Not like, I mean, we were really young, so it wasn't like a big, like, you know, movement, you know, with, um, with inspiration or anything at that point, we were, you know, pretty young teenagers. So it was like, we were a little bit too, um, too young for any big inspirational movements happening, quite frankly, but how to keep, keep a clean house. <laughs> well, that, that's always a good thing to learn for sure. So what is it that brought you to, from corporate travel to St. Vincent de Paul? Um, I was, I had kiddos. <laughs> I stayed at home with my sons um, for, I think it was like 10 or 11 years. I stayed at home um, and then it was time to get back into the workforce and you know, commuting to outside of Boston wasn't um, viable anymore for me. 
So I was at home and I started volunteering with St. Vincent of Paul, um, going in and volunteering in the kids' classrooms. You could see the dichotomy in the socioeconomic classes that were displayed, you know, in the in Exeter schools for a trained eye, you know, for somebody that was like a little bit, you know, observant and things. So it became clear to me that, you know, not everybody's going home, you know, to, you know, a full cabinet and refrigerators and things. And I've been a member of St. Michael's for, we moved here for a long time, practicing Catholic. And uh, we've always had, um, you know, they've come in every year and talked about things and it just kind of always stuck out what they were doing. So as a stay at home mom, when the kids were in school, I would come to volunteer. I would come um, here to volunteer um, because it was important to make sure that, again, I was like kind of looking through it through students' eyes and kids' eyes because that's what I was doing. And, you know, families that were struggling to get sufficient, you know, didn't have enough food to get on the table every night um, was something that was really critically important. It's such a fundamental need. Mm -hmm. um, so I wanted to be part of that solution. So that's what attracted me to St. Vincent of Paul. Oh, that's great. Now, how long have you been there? Uh, I think this is my, yeah, this is my 10th year. Yes. Okay. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Gosh, I can't believe it's been 10 years already. Me neither. <laughs> Time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. So you already talked a little bit about your family, your current family, your your husband and, and uh, your children. So are do you live locally now? I do. Yeah, we live in Exeter. Yeah, we live in Exeter. Nice. Um, and how, how old are your sons? I have a son um, that is a junior at Exeter High School. He is 16. He's about to be 17. And then my son that's going to University of Southern Maine um, is 18, about to be 19 shortly. So does he know what he wants to study at the uh, He's doing business. He's doing business. So it's a little broad base at this point. So we hope, you know, in time that it gets more defined, which I'm sure it will. So yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, that's great. He's going away, but not too far away. Mm -hmm. Good mix. Good mix. So um, Molly, my last question for you in this segment is, and then we'll move into the second segment is, where do you see yourself personally and professionally in the next 10 years? Okay. I know it's a big question. It is um, very much so um, because <laughs> Like, I mean, I'm not unique for this because COVID just kind of put such a spin on our, you know, our foundation and the, um, it, it's hard to imagine because what things even, you know, planning a vacation, you know, come this spring, it, it for me personally, it's hard to envision doing uh, because the stability that we had kind of um, lived with for so long is, is gone. So for me personally, um, I mean, not that it's, you know, the end of times, but it's a lot of additional considerations and things. So it's it, trying to just concentrate on getting back to, again, that stability, you know, when, when it's a healthy um, choice for all people involved mm -hmm. um, is kind of where my focus has been um, in terms of, you know, 10 years from now that remains to be seen. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's because like I said, we've been just concentrating on just what we're up against and what's happening and where we are and what measures to take and how to conduct ourselves and where to go and where not to go and what's safe and what's not. And it's kind of consumed 
kind of everyday living. So kind of getting beyond that when, you know, people make reference to things, it's like, well, that sounds nice, but I don't know if that's feasible at this juncture or it will absolutely be feasible. So it, it's hard to personally for me to envision that far out until we gain um, some more stability. Absolutely. I, I totally understand it, it, what you're saying. I, I mean, we can't decide if we can be in a room of 20 people without, with or without a mask. It's, sure. It's a, it's a, it is, it's a crazy time and I hope we get through it quicker now. Yes. It does seem nice to be able to see people in a, in a person to person situation though. We're gonna wrap up that segment. I'd like to um, move into the second segment by asking you the same 10 questions that I ask every person on the podcast. So, you ready? Sure, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Molly, what is your favorite word? Oh my, oh geez, I don't know. I've never been asked this, I'm, I don't know. Oh my goodness. I, I guess love, I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, that's when that's injected, it's always a nice way or, you know, people feel passionate about something or somebody or, you know, an experience. So I guess that would be, yes. Whenever that enters the scene, it's a good thing. No, that's good. That's good. Now, what is your least favorite word? Well, hate. If I'm going to go with that theme, hate, yes, because the, yeah, like what uh, emotions that, you know, people evoke the, you know, violence, the, you know, like the, uh, all of the negativity that's associated with that when people are um, displaying any attitudes that are associated with that. I agree with that. Um, so what makes you laugh out loud? Complete belly laugh. Oh my goodness. Well, lots of, lots of things. Um, I, you know, it feels good to have a really good hard laugh because it's very soothing your soul. Definitely. Um, you know, we try to find comedy in all kinds of different arenas because that's, you know, it's, it, it's critical to the mental health and, um, my own stability. So, um, it can, again, I look for that in all different arenas. Um, it can be like my girlfriends, it can be my kids, it, you know, my family, different, you know, it can be here at work, you know, it just depends what's going on. And again, to recognize um, that, that time to be able to, to, to take appreciation and, and, and laugh. I love that. So what makes you, what just breaks your heart, makes you really sad? Um, well, there's, well, there's, you know, grieving people that have lost personally makes me very sad because some of my favorite people are dead. So that's rugged, including Cleo Castingay, who was, um, our, my mentor and the reason why I'm sitting in the building I am right now and have the job that I have right now. Um, so I mean that very much so like that, that makes me sad. Mm. And it breaks my heart. And I guess if I'm going to do like the other side of the coin too, we here at uh, Society St. Vincent Paul, we help a fair amount of homeless folks, which not a lot of people are aware of. And these a lot of people, these are people that are turning up at 53 Lincoln Street, which um, is news to a lot of people. And sometimes, it, a lot of times, there's inadequate um, resources for them. But, you know, there's the low income housing um, are full. There's five year wait lists to get on housing authorities. Um, there's inadequate um, resources. And these folks are human beings too, and they deserve what we deserve. They need a roof over their heads, they need food in their bellies. And when we're met with something we can't, there's not, I can't get blood from the stone, that's very difficult for me. 
Yeah, that would that would certainly do it for me. And Cleo, what a wonderful what a wonderful man he was. He is so deeply missed. What sound or noise do you love? What is your favorite curse word? <laughs> and you can say it because I can read your lips. <laughs> it's the most versatile. So <laughs> it is the most versatile. I agree with you. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Oh boy, that's interesting <laughs> because we, it takes a lot of money. We are, have a horrible business here. We don't charge for anything. We have a horrible business model. So we're always, um, it costs us about $5,000 um, a week to keep our doors open. And I assure you, it's not my high salary. So, <laughs> um, so we're always looking for support. We're always looking for money. We're always looking for money. Um, so that means, you know, um, fundraisers, that means grants, you know, different things like that. Um, so I think about what it would be like to be on a committee or, you know, an organization. And that would be your sole job to like kind of hand out money to nonprofits, like to be on the other end of the spectrum would, oh my gosh, I'd feel like, you know, like queen of the universe. Like it would just would be like, wow, like just <laughs> instead of kind of having my hand out and asking for money and trying to appeal and, um, to people, um, being in a position to be able to give um to worthy causes would be very satisfying to me wouldn't that be that would be so nice i i bet there are a lot of um, organizations um that are nonprofit that that feel that way as well what profession would you not want any part of there's a lot <laughs> there's a lot that i don't agree with morally or i don't agree with politically or um yeah, there's a, there's a number of different things for a number of different reasons I would not, and I'm not fitted for, you know, things that, you know, if somebody said you have to, you know, become, uh, you know, something that my skill set's not aligned with, or, you know, for aversion, and, you know, we're all, you know, we all have our strengths and our weaknesses, and I would not want to sit down at a desk and have to perform, you know, I'm a lousy speller, you know, things like that, so I wouldn't want to have to be in charge of doing things that I, I'm ill um, adapt at, so, and, Fair enough. Fair enough. So my last question for you is, so what would you like your legacy to be? How would you like people to remember you or what would you like them to remember about you? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a loaded question. I guess, I guess it's the impact that you had on, you know, the, the impact that you have, of course, you know, on the people that you love and the relationships and what spirit you brought you know, into their lives and how you conduct yourself. And if you enter, you know, a room or walk into a party or, you know, kind of what um, to have, you know, a good um, people remembering that that's, you know, a good thing and a welcome addition or, you know, somebody's like, not that there's too many dinner parties right now, or I don't have that many formal friends either, but, you know, does somebody's like excited that they're sitting next to me or something or gravitating, you know, because they just want to, um, it's something that people and energy that people want to be um, with, um, definitely. But then like, you know, and that's on like a personal, smaller kind of a thing. But I guess overall, 
you know, the impact that you've made on the world. Um, and, you know, extra is a small community, definitely. But one of my biggest things that I'm always advocating for is you don't have to get on a plane to see people in poverty. Like this is happening right here. These are our neighbors. These are our friends. These are people going to school. These are sitting in our church pews, these kinds of things. So making an impact locally on people that are struggling for really fundamental needs, like really, you know, food on the table really, um, you know, electricity, just, you know, heating, you know, basic things like that, that I don't even need my name affiliated with it, but having a positive impact on the people that we serve through these years would be an important takeaway for me as well. You know, Molly, I have to tell you, one of the things that um, you, um, St. Vincent had a, um, a morning mixer, uh, they, you hosted one around the holidays a few years ago. And um, one of the things that you said yeah. that has had such a huge impact on me, and I just haven't forgotten it, was, and I'm not going to be, I'm, I can't be specific. You can be specific on the, on the numbers, but you said, you know, $5 will feed, and, and again, I, this isn't the exact quotient that you gave, but $5 will feed 20 people, or can you tell me what that yeah, um, we go to the New Hampshire Food Bank on a weekly basis. And for every dollar that we have donated, we can purchase approximately $50 worth of food. That's exactly So right. I don't care how savvy of a shopper you are, nobody can maintain match that. <laughs> so we can do a lot more with that than somebody buying like an in-kind. You know, we need both and we're happy for both. And I don't want to be ungrateful by any means. Um, but we like we can really parlay that into a lot more that we can kind of pick and choose what we need and things like that for people, what our inventory is. Um, so it can go a lot really far. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it made a huge impact on me. And I, I, um, I, I just I, I wasn't aware of how many people that would feed, you know, just giving even a small amount. It, it's just crazy. Um, yeah, it makes a big impact because we can, you know, with um, financial contributions, um, we can like this is where the for weeks because Society of St. Vincent de Paul also offers emergency financial assistance to people. Um, and we're the last when all other options have been exhausted. Um, so we're the last, we're it, they're on the brink, like, you know, the cliff is right there. So like being able to help someone, for example, last week, I turned on an Exeter residence electric electricity he hadn't had electricity since july that's a long time to go in the dark that is a long time to go in the dark um so the impact again that we can make you know with people those kinds of things that um it, it makes a big difference it makes a big difference it certainly does. well molly i think all of the work that you're doing and all of the volunteers at st vincent de paul are doing will certainly make you be remembered and give back um, everything that you give back to the community is just amazing. So we thank you for that. Oh, I have, we're happy to do it. And our work is never done because there's always, you know, there's always like, while we've been talking, we're doing a food pantry session, the phone's been ringing off the wall. So it's, it's busy and it's needed and it continues to be. And it's something that is a need that's year round. This is some, a need that we see year round. And it's, it is, it is not something that you expect. 
in Exeter, New Hampshire, uh, but it is. It, it is. exists. It very much does. There's lots of people that are in need, right? Again, like these are our neighbors, our friends. This is right here. And it's not as overtly obvious, you know, like in the cities and things like that. But this is definitely a need. You know, we've, this is our 33rd year in business. You know, if, and we're thriving and we're only getting bigger. So if this wasn't a problem, <laughs> maybe, you know, I would be like, you know, going home and say everyone's fed next year and everyone's bills are paid and I can go home now. So, and that's never happened. So. That's a goal. That's yeah. really a goal. I love it. Well, Molly, I'd like to thank you for uh, your time today and sharing your story with us. Um, is there anything else that you would like to share? Um, not at this juncture. Again, like I keep, you know, a plug for St. Vincent de Paul, but that's really, again, because it's, it's advocating, it's a voice of the poor. It's advocating for people that are in need. Um, and that is something, you know, like around the holidays, it's great, you know, that people are reminded, you know, charities and things like that, but this is a need that things that go on, you know, my family and I eat dinner on the 26th of December too, and so do other households. So just to kind of keep us in mind that that's something that a need that exists um, throughout this um, year and every year. Exactly. And it is exactly what you said. It's throughout the year, not just during the holidays. So, um, and I should say too, we're very grateful that we live in such a benevolent community. We couldn't do the work that we're doing without the support that we receive from our Exeter neighbors as well. Um, we are we work hard to be embedded and woven into the community. Um, and you know, part of that's to enlighten folks and things, but we are very well received. And because of that support, because of those donations, you know, financial and in kind, we're able to continue to do the work that we do. So we are very grateful. Um, for everyone's um, support. Um, it, it's, we, again, we could not keep our doors open if we didn't um, have that support. And our, you know, our neighbors here in Exeter, you know, particularly during COVID were, you know, particularly generous and we very much appreciate that. Oh, that's great. Will you give the address one more time, the phone number and the um, website? Certainly. Um, so it's, um, our address is 53 Lincoln Street. We're crossing the train station, can't miss us. Um, and we do accept um, in-kind donations. Um, and then we also have our website um, and that is svvpexeter.com. And there is um, more information about our programs. Um, we just started back up our dental program, which is fantastic. Uh, twice the big RV that's on the side of our building. Um, that is, we're in collaboration with Families First from Portsmouth, and they are coming twice a month to do urgent dental care. So we're able to restore some of our more critical programs. And once a week, again, with Families First, they come over and do medical. Um, there's a medical team um, that for homeless or near homeless folks. Okay. Um, so for kind of more deep dive information on programs that we offer, our website is a great um, resource for some of those things. And there's also a way to donate online as well through our website. That's great. Thank you so much, Molly. Um, I'd like to thank my guest, uh, Molly Zarello from St. Vincent de Paul. And um, letting us get to know you a little bit better. I'd also like to thank our listeners today. Uh, we appreciate you joining us. Um, for now, you can find our podcast on the uh, Exeter Area Chamber website, www.exeterarea.org. Um, for now, this is Bobby Vandenbach, Member Services Director with the Exeter Area Chamber, signing off. 
please join us next time with the Chamber Bus with Bobby. See you later. Thanks, Molly. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Bobby. Thank you. The Chamber Buzz with Bobby is built and distributed through Anchor by Spotify. This podcast is produced by the Exeter Area Chamber of Commerce. To learn more about the Chamber, visit exeterarea.org.